Last week, uh, the main focus was on the gospel, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And this week, we have two or three themes that are all important. One is the covenantal relationship between God and God's people. The other is what does it mean to have faith and how does it save? And the third one is what does it mean when we hear the Savior say, you must take up your cross and follow him if you would be saved. How do we understand taking up our cross and what does it mean? Uh, it has been, of course, a passage in the Bible that has um, created a number of hair-raising behaviors in the Christian faith and life over the centuries. So we need to understand something about taking up our cross. In the reading of about Abraham or Abram, let me do some word things for you. In the Hebrew Bible, uh, Abram means uh, exalted father. And Abraham means father of the nations. And it's a word play. So if you read it in the original language, you would, you'd get a little ha-ha out of how that was handled. Now, Sarai to Sarah is a little bit more obscure. Some Christian commentators on the Hebrew words say that Sarai means... Princess of the family. We all know a little bit about that. Right? And Sarah means princes, princess of the nations. Interestingly enough, uh, the, the, the Jewish commentators say the meaning of the Hebrew is unclear. And some may say that it has to do, some of them say that it could have to do, if we were to pronounce it a certain way in Hebrew, with Sarah being the mother of Israel, who Isaac was, right? So we, he is named Israel, and that could be uh, what that particular thing means. But Abram, soon to be Abraham, becomes the father of many nations. And the important thing for us today is that he is a person of faith. Again, in the Hebrew text, if we were to say faith, immuna, it would really mean trust. So if you think about what is faith, what do I understand faith to mean? It isn't just sort of hoping that it's going to be like the woman in the Mervyn's ad at the window before the sale starts, open, open, open. But that there's a, a deep and abiding trust in the purposes of God and a confidence that God is leading in a direction that Abram chooses to follow. And he does. And you all know the story. He, he pulls up stakes and he goes to where God tells him to go. He does a great many things based on this trust in God. Now this is going to become very important for Paul because the reading that we read today from Romans, we are right where the rubber hits the road. 
with regard to salvation by faith through grace. And so Paul is reasoning in a very tight fashion about how we understand, he understands the saving power of this faith. So here's the thing. Paul has come to the conclusion, because of his conversion experience, that all are saved in Christ. That means not just the people of the covenant. It means everybody, which includes the Gentiles. So Paul is saying, where do I find support for this in my sacred literature? And one of the places is that I'm going to read, I read about Abraham. And Abraham's faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. And more to the point, this faith was reckoned to him as righteousness before he was circumcised. And further, it says, Abraham is the father of many nations. Well, many nations is not just the people of the covenant. It's everybody. So God's saving power is now extended to everyone. And Paul comes to the conclusion that you don't have to be circumcised in order to be in. You have to have faith in Christ to be in. And once you have faith in Christ and are baptized, you're in. You do not need, if you are a male, to be circumcised. You do not need to keep the food laws. You do not need to keep the Sabbath. You know, to some, this may seem, oh, well, it's patently obvious, or what difference does it make? Back then, this was big. Big. So he is saying, you know, we have now a new announcement here. And further, this is what's occurred. Our sacred literature has given support for the view that God's inclusive saving embrace is for everyone and did it many centuries before the coming of the unique focus of the divine presence, Jesus Christ, who now in his person as a human being announces this reality once again and calls all faithful people to embrace this and to understand it. So he's not talking about Christianity superseding Judaism. He's talking about Christianity is now bringing to the table a deeper and fuller understanding of the nature of being saved in Christ. This has legs for people living in the 21st century because Lent is a season of how do we understand the baptismal covenant. And so covenant has something to do with our trust in God and the belief as Abraham had and Paul had that God is not a cutter and a runner. That God remains faithful even if you don't. 
and that this is the time of year when we think about the depth and the quality of our faithfulness and the depth and the quality of our trust in the midst of things that aren't just the result of skepticism on our part, but maybe perhaps because of the adversity we're facing in our own lives. And will it be possible to trust that God's grace and love remains present to us in the midst of difficult or just plain annoying circumstances? In Mark's Gospel today, we have, the sto- we have Jesus speaking about the necessity of taking up our cross to follow him. I wasn't going to preach about the first part of the reading, but I just want to say something to you about this. When you hear the word Satan used in the Bible, in the New Testament, when, when Jesus rebukes Peter for his rebuke, saying that he must go through these things... And this is what's going to happen to him. And Mark says, he says, said this quite openly. And Peter takes him aside to rebuke him. And Jesus rebukes Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Satan is not, in this case, the personification of evil in a person we might call the devil. Satan means advocate in the Bible. So we run into it in Job with the Satan who says to God, Satan is kind of like an attorney. I hope you can understand what I'm saying (laughs) in this regard. An advocate, okay? So it's a suggestion that Jesus forsake his vocation, a plea. How do you feel when you get pushback about an idea that you have or in your work you make at a meeting and you make a particular suggestion and it gets blown off or you meet resistance and criticism? Well, the first thing that I do is doubt myself. Oh, maybe that wasn't a good idea or I shouldn't have said it or it may be dumb. Jesus doesn't want to hear about forsaking his vocation. The human Jesus. He struggled with that in the wilderness. And remember those temptations that the Savior underwent in the wilderness will recur again and again in his life just as they do for us. We have the ability to be able to conquer our temptations to some degree, to push them to the side, to make some temptations less beguiling than they used to be, but others rise up. And this is part of the spiritual life, how God's love, acceptance, and forgiveness impacts our own quotidian adventures, daily adventures. And that's what taking up your cross may have something to do with. Most of us think about this. in We also know, by the way, uh, at least I have run into a number of people in my life who have enjoyed carrying their crosses more than I can tell you. <laughs> they, in fact, seek a, a more to, to bear, you know. My grandfather, oh yeah, Jack Ludlow, he's been enjoying poor health for 12 years. 
right? So some people can think about crosses to bear in that kind of caricatured sense. I think that that, uh, Evelyn Underhill last week in her letter to her friend about keeping Lent perhaps puts the focus on how we should understand bearing your cross because it isn't just the heroic bearing of crosses with enormous, immense suffering that many of us have to endure and have endured in the past, but it's also the ordinary day-to-day annoyances that can become a big pain. You know, putting up with difficult people, uh, not wanting to suffer fools gladly, being tempted to uh, not take other people seriously. Desmond Tutu, in a speech when I was still in Sausalito, I heard him give a talk at the Marin City Community Center, and he said in that talk, if we believe in the faith tradition that I come from, that everybody is, be, is made in the image and likeness of God, then in one sense we should genuflect to one another. So if you're having some difficulty with that, we're obviously not going to do that. But what he was talking about was the importance of taking other people seriously. And sometimes it's hard, particularly if some people are annoying or difficult, or if we have no uh, self-understanding of any kind and don't realize that we're annoying and difficult. Right? I mean, the greatest shock to me was when I went to the Shota House in 1972 and I got there and there were 104 students then. And I said to myself, my God, I'm in a seminary with 103 prima donnas. (laughs) How did this happen to me? And then the great revelation was, oh no. There are 104 prima donnas. <laughs> now what? Well, perhaps that may be the stuff of why you're here for three years. And you're going to have to get some degree of clarity about that, right? And it didn't come over the great, you know, theological differences or the... It, it came over the day-to-day quotidian living with people in the middle of the Wisconsin bush, particularly when the ice got thick and the trees got bare and the snow got deep. I tell you, it was like the Marines for a California boy. So maybe we should uh, set our focus for bearing our cross at a little more uh, reasonable and accessible level, as opposed to thinking about some of the heroic things that are involved. And I expect, you know, in this particular context, Mark took that saying of Jesus and put it in the context of the community life of the church out of which his gospel emerged. Remember, the good news, the gospel means good news. And good news means in the New Testament, the good news brought up to date. So Mark, the earliest of the gospels, written in 65 or 70 A.D., Jesus was tried, crucified, rose again from the dead, and ascended into heaven in 33. And that means we're a generation out, at least. So how are they coping with bearing their cross, with people discounting the message, 
with maybe some of the triumphs being uh, thin on the ground? And how are we to understand ourselves in corporate terms, but also personally, with the day-to-day -day challenges that that brings? So bearing our cross may be, in some sense, a little bit more, more mundane than uh, some of us would wish it to be. And I've always thought that that text had something to do with that. This week, give thanks for God's unfailing faithfulness to you. For God's un unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness. For the relationship that has been established between you and God at your baptism. For the knowledge that you count in big and small ways at whatever stage or circumstance of your life for God's plan for the cosmos. And ask God to give you the grace to bear your cross, whatever it might be, gracefully. Amen.